Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you. Uh, I know the last time you saw me was about two weeks ago, and you probably thought you got rid of me for good, but no, I'm back. And uh, it's very, very good to to see you all. And uh, yeah, like Pastor Henry said, uh, I am finishing up my last year in seminary. It's really crazy to think that this journey started about three years ago, and that three-year journey is coming to a close. And one thing that I forgot to do at the other service, and I'll do here, is I want to I want to thank you all for your prayer and for your support um, throughout my time here at seminary. Uh, you, so, some of you have received my emails. You know some of the things that I've gone through as, as I've studied, and uh, I, I just want to thank you guys so much for your love and your care for me. Um, you guys are my dear church family, and I love you very much. Um, well, right now, I am finishing up my my job at the Master Seminary as well. I'm currently the guest services supervisor, so I answer the phone, do scheduling, stuff like that. And uh, our, the seminary has decided to change directions, and my job will be taken over by a full-time person. And that's great. It's, and it really is. I don't, I don't mean it in any sarcastic form at all. Um, it's been granted to me to have my job taken away. And this is very much the same thing that Paul was talking about in Philippians 1.29 when he says, it's been granted to me the ability to suffer for the Lord's sake. Now, I'm not suffering like Paul did. I'm not trying to say that. But I I am saying that uh, this is a great opportunity for me just to practice my trust muscles, uh, to to practice just, um, just looking to the Lord in faith and understanding that he will provide um, very much that that promise in Matthew seven, where I have no worries, I have no need to be anxious because I know that my God will provide for my needs, and so uh, I'm just so so thankful for the Lord for that. And uh, well, in terms of future plans after I graduate, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. Uh, I I would like to find a church to to be a part of to uh, either pastor or just be. And it, I, I don't know, an unofficial intern, whatever. Uh, I just want to be able to serve, be able to teach. And uh, so that's, that's what I would like, like to do. We'll see what the Lord has in store. Our, our passage today is found in the book of Malachi. And uh, it's a difficult passage. It's a difficult passage. This is not a friendly passage to any of us. And the reason why we're here today in this passage is because once I've studied this passage, it just never left me. This is one of the things that God has continually brought up again and again in my mind. And uh, I know that it'll be something that will be a benefit to you, even if it does, even if it does hurt. So if, uh, well, if, if you, if you've never uh, read the book of Malachi. It's a, it's a great book t- to read. But in order to get there, since some of you probably haven't been there, uh, just go to the book of Matthew and just turn a couple pages back into the Old Testament and you'll find yourself in the book of Malachi. So book of Malachi, chapter 1, verse 6. This is the word of God. A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master... Where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priests who despise my name? But you say, how will you despise your name? You're presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? 
and that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But now, will you not entreat God's favor, that he may be gracious to us? With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name. And a grain offering that is pure, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you are profaning it. And that you say, the table of the Lord is, to, is defiled, and as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. You also say, my, how tiresome it is. And you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring back what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick, so you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hands, says the Lord? But curse be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and this, and we come humble. We come praying that you would give us soft hearts and that you would give us ears to hear, especially because this passage is directed right at our hearts. Father, we pray that you would glorify yourself in the preaching of your word, that you would make yourself known and that you would show us who you are so that we, so that we would desire to worship you with all of our hearts and all that we are. Thank you for your word, Father. We pray that you bless the preaching of your word. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let me take you back 15 years. 15 years ago to 9-11. After 9-11, after the shock and the horror and the denial left us, we we were confronted with the fact that this was indeed a real thing that the greatest amount of American civilian lives was lost here on U.S. soil. Remember your reaction. Remember your feelings. Remember what other people were saying. Everyone was asking, where's God? Where's God in all this? Why would he allow something so evil to happen? But then, after a week or two, it all kind of just went away. We picked ourselves up. Life moved on. And we stopped asking the questions of, where's God? And why would he allow this to happen? The actions of 9-11 was enough to shake us awake, to get our attention, to force us to slow down and to ask these questions. But... 
like all tragedies, after time went on, we moved on. Now, don't get me wrong. We still, we still live in a post-9-11 world. We still face the ramifications of it every single day, whether you're at the airport or even, even in, in, a, in a month when Super Bowl 50 starts. We, we have security measures because we're all vigilant because of terrorism. How, however, however, we've become callous to terrorism as well, haven't we? It, sure, it happens, and I'm not trying to make light of what happened in Paris or in San Bernardino at all. Not at all. But we've become callous to it. Sure, we, we get sad. We get sad. We feel compassion for those who are affected by it. But, but after a week or two, we move on. We don't even think about it anymore. We don't ask, what happened? Where's God? We just grieve, we heal, and we move on. And this is something that we do all the time in human history. This is particularly true of the people of Israel. Now, if you guys have been studying with us here at SF Bible, you know that Pastor Henry's been going through the book of Isaiah. And in the book of Isaiah, God is telling the people of Judah, because you have sinned against me, because you have broken my covenant with you, you will be judged. And I'm going to judge you by sending you off into exile into Babylon. And God was not going over the top. He didn't cross the line when it came to his judgment of the people of Judah. They got exactly what they deserve for their sin against him. Now, before in Israel, their major problem was idolatry. They would always worship God, but there was always someone else. There was always something else. Their heart wasn't fully with the Lord. And here in the book of Malachi, we see what happens after. They repented of their sin. They're back in the land. God promised to bring them back, and he did. He did. After 70 years, he brought them back into the land of Israel. They're back home. They're back home. And we don't know how much time has passed since then, but we do know that Jerusalem, by that time, was rebuilt. The temple was rebuilt, and sacrifices were started again. The the form of worship that, that was in Israel started again. But then there's a problem. There's a problem. Israel's heart was still not with God. And in this passage here in Malachi, we pick up, and it's almost as if God is saying to them, Israel, do you remember Babylon? Do you remember that? Do you remember me taking you out because you didn't love me? Why are you doing it again? Now you might think, okay, well, we're not Israel, so why are you preaching this passage? Why does this passage matter? It's true. We aren't Israel, but the same attitude, the same heart that they had can be in us as well when it comes to worship. We're a busy people. We're getting ready to move. In a couple of weeks, we're not going to be in this building. We're going to be over across the park. And some of you are involved with at least two or three different ministries on top of your jobs. Or perhaps some of you, you put in your 40 hours a week at work, maybe it's 40 plus, and you give all that you have to work, and you're tired, 
And I get that. But sometimes, sometimes it is so easy for us, all of us, not just, not just you guys, me too, me too, to come into a Sunday morning, to come into a Friday night meeting or a Wednesday night meeting or whenever you meet. It's easy for us to come into these services and to be distracted, to have our hearts far away from God. And because it's so easy for us to approach worship with the wrong attitude, we, we need to slow down. We need to see what God says here about genuine worship. So in our text this morning, we're going to see two elements. Two elements of God's confrontation with Israel's religious leaders so that we understand how to worship God rightly. The first element that we're going to observe is God's wrath against dishonor. God's wrath against dishonor. Verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? God's confrontation here, it begins with a set of comparisons. Father and son, servant and master. And when God compares himself to a father and Israel as a son, he's bringing to their mind Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. And oftentimes, we're, we're familiar with the Ten Commandments. We're familiar with honor your father and mother. And oftentimes, we think of it in terms of, well, I just need to honor mom and dad because the Bible says so. And that's how we teach it in Sunday school, right? Honor your father and mother for this is right. And then you jump over to Ephesians 6, and you, you kind of add that little caveat of, you know, this is right. And it's the promise that if you want to live long on the earth, you honor mom and dad. And, you know, kids are just like, I want to live long on the earth, so yeah, I want to do that, right? And that is true. We do want to honor father and mother. But the reason why God gave Exodus 20, why he reiterated in Deuteronomy 5, is because he wanted the parents to teach their kids, you you teach your young ones how to honor you, as a picture of how we all are to honor me, me being God. That's the whole purpose of honoring your father and mother, is to learn how to honor God. And so this word, this word honor, it can be translated as fear and respect, but it also carries with it this recognition of weight. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, how big your belly is or how, you know, whatever, like how much you weigh. What I'm talking about when I say weight is the importance of a person. For instance, if we here, if the pastors here at San Francisco Bible Church decided to start a blog and they were writing on theological issues, we here at this church, because we understand who they are, we know who they are, we're more than like, we'll more likely listen to what they have to say and take it. But why would anyone outside of this church read anything by Pastor Henry or Pastor Alton and say, oh, yeah, you know, I think that's good. I think I'll, I'll, I'll read that and I'll take that and I'll go with it. They have no reason to. But, but if they go to Desiring God or Grace to You, they're just like, oh, John Piper, John MacArthur, I've heard of those guys. I'm definitely going to listen to them or, you know, 
Well, usually. Anyway, um, but that shows the, that that port, part of honor, right? We honor these big name pastors because of their reputation. So there's a little bit more weight there. And so God's saying, where is my honor? You know who I am. You know who I am. You know what I've done. Where is my honor? Now, don't get me wrong. God's not some spoiled brat who's just standing there saying, love me, love me, love me. Why don't you love me? He's not saying that. He's not saying that. God is pointing to the fact that he himself is so valuable. He himself is so good. The highest good. The highest value that his worth, his honor, his praise, that all is just due him. It's not because he needs it. It's just due him because of who he is. His worth is that high. And so, if they know who he is, if they know what he's done, the fact that he is the God of the universe who created all things by his mere words... And the fact that he chose to love them, that he chose them out of all the other nations, you, Israel, are my son. There should be honor there, should there not? There should be honor there. They should love him with all their heart, but they don't. So God moves on to this, this, next, um, this next comparison, and he says, a master is to honor from his servant. And that's true, right? Servants have no choice but to honor their masters. And you know, this is just like our workplaces, right? I, we have no choice but to respect our employers. We have no choice. You might not like them. They might rub you the wrong way, but you have no choice but to respect them. Why? Because if you want to get paid and if you want to stay employed, you respect your employer. You respect your employer. You show respect, or they show you the door. God brought them out of exile. He brought them back home to their land. He kept his promise. And he's, he's looking at them, and he's saying, Look, I exiled you for the fact that you did not worship me. You did not treat me with honor. You should be sensitive to this, but you're not. You're calloused. You've moved on. And that is indicated, especially, particularly, in the priests. Because he says, it's, O priests, who despise my name. The priests should know better, right? Of all people, the priests should know better than not to honor God with all their heart. Not to help the people learn how to worship God with all their heart. But these priests, they do not. They do not. And because of that, they bring a whole nation down with them. And the reason why God highlights his name here is because there are close ties between God's name and who he is. God's name and who he is. He is Yahweh. He is their covenant God. We have a relationship, Israel. You know me. I love you. Why are you abandoning me again? Why do you dishonor me? And they have the gall to say, 
How? How, God? How have we despised your name? And so he says, oh, you want to know? I'll tell you how. I'll tell you. Verse 7, you're presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? And that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised. Now, God does not need to eat food. We know that. He doesn't need to eat food. He's completely independent of us. But the reason why he brings up the table, the reason why he brings up food, is because the worship of God in the Old Testament was done through sacrifice. Sacrifices were an act of worship to God. And there were some sacrifices that people brought where they could eat of it after it was offered. Or it would be given to the priest so that they could eat because they didn't have any wages. So God made it clear. When you bring your sacrifice, because of who I am, and your, your worship is reflecting of who I am, you bring perfect, unblemished sacrifices to honor me. Those are the only sacrifices that are acceptable. However, the priests, they were saying, you know what, it's okay. Goat's expensive, so don't worry about it. The sheep's kind of expensive, don't worry about it. Bulls? Oh yeah, those are really expensive. So, you know, if, if, it's, if it's not perfect, if it's not according to God's standard, it's fine, don't worry, it'll be okay. And, you know, it would be the same as, as if I said, oh, yeah, it's fine for you to come here on a Sunday morning. And, you know, if you want to check your phone, you want to watch, you want to, you want to watch Netflix or you want to check, check what the score is for the playoff game, you know, that's fine. No. That's not acceptable, right? We know that. But essentially, that's what the priests are saying here. They're like, ah, don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. It's fine. Now, when it says here that the table of that the priests say that the table of the Lord is to be despised, this is most likely not a blatant statement by the priests. At least I hope it was not. But it's it is an accurate summarization of the attitude in their hearts. They demonstrated through the acceptance of lesser sacrifices that they didn't care about the honor of God. They didn't care. And so that dishonor is just so, so present. And we see it in verse 8. We see God confronting them with it in verse 8. He says, But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? This is kind of like that classic parenting illustration. You know, would you, would you chew with your mouth open? If the president were here? Would you leave your clothes all over the house if the president were here? No, I wouldn't. And so the argument from the lesser to the greater here is, look, if you're not going to do that to your governing authority, why, why would you do that to God? Why would you do that to God? Because God is considerably more powerful, more important than any human ruler. So why would you dare present God with any kind of worship that's less than what he deserves. Why? And basically, it comes down to how do you view God? How do you value him? A good example of that is the golden calf. If you remember, in Exodus 32, Moses is up on the Mount of Sinai. He's receiving the word of the Lord. And the people are worried like, oh, we haven't seen Moses in a very long time. What happened? Is he alive still? And so they're all worried. And they're just like, hey, Aaron, Aaron, 
Can you build us a gold? Can you give us an image so that we can worship? And he's like, okay, I'll do it. And he gets their gold and all the jewelry, and he 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 melts it in the fire, and then he produces this golden calf, and they go worship it. And as a result of their disobedience and worshiping an idol, Moses comes storming down the mountain, breaks the tablets, and God judges the people for their sin in creating and worshiping the golden calf. But after the judgment's done, he goes in verse 30, in chapter 33 and he says, go, go up to the promised land, but I'm not going to go with you. Because if I go with you, I will most likely destroy you because of your sin. Now fast forward to verse 14 and 15, and Moses says, no, no. If we're going to go to the promised land and you're not there with us, don't even send us. We don't want to go. We don't want to go because we value you so much that if you're not there, the promised land, whether it's flowing with milk and honey, is not worth it at all if you are not there. And that's the question that we have to ask ourselves, right, in our lives. If God is not there, is it worth it? Is it worth it to you if you have everything but God is not there? It's not worth it. It's not. Now, when we think about worship, when we think about worship, we don't sacrifice through animals anymore. Right? And the reason why we don't do that is because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he came down to this earth, became a man. He lived the, purchase, he lived the perfect life that we could not. He lived the perfect life that we could not. And he died on the cross in our place. And then he rose again so that when we believe in him, we might be forgiven of our sins. That we might be, we might receive the righteousness of God. That we might be adopted into God's family. And that gives us the right, that gives us the ability to worship God. To actually pray. To sing songs of worship. To honor God. That's all that Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. He granted us all of those benefits, all of those blessings, all because of what he did on the cross. And so because of that, that sacrifice was enough. It was enough to satisfy God's wrath against all sin. So we don't offer sacrifices anymore because Christ's sacrifice was once for all. It's done. He's completed it all. It is done. But we do still offer sacrifices of worship. We present ourselves as acceptable living sacrifices to God. And what that means is our act of worship is the way that we present ourselves to God in our purity and our commitment to Him. And yet, at the same time, we still can offer sacrifices to God that are not worthy of Him. Now, you might be asking, well, what are some of those ways that, that we don't honor God in our, sac- in, in our worship? How do we not respect him? Well, one of the things that we do is when we worship God with unconfessed sin in our lives. When we come to church, when we come to Friday, and we're still sitting on our sin, we refuse to repent of it. And it's just like, I have a right. I have a right to be angry. That guy cut me off. I have a right. I have a right to be selfish. I have a right to be prideful. 
I have a right to hold a grudge against that brother or sister or that person who wronged me. And if we don't confess that, and you come before the Lord and you try and worship Him, you're not right before Him. You still have sin in your life. And that doesn't honor Him. Another way that we can dishonor God in our worship is when we come before Him distracted. I've done it a lot of times. Sadly. There are football games going on. It's 12 o'clock. You're getting hungry. It's easy to worship God but be distracted and not focus on Him. Another way is when we're ungrateful for the things that God has provided for us, whether they're good or whether they're bad. We're an ungrateful people. We're a privileged people. We expect things. And it's just so easy for us to be unthankful. Another way is when we complain. We are really good at complaining, aren't we? Very good at complaining. It could be about whatever is going on outside. It could be the city. It could be this church. It could be you know, food. We complain about everything. We are good complainers, but we do not honor God when we have complaint in our hearts. And of course, another way, and this of course is not a comprehensive list, but another way that we dishonor God in our worship is when we sin against those whom we love. When we sin against those whom we love. The people that we sin against the most are our own family members. Right? It's easy to be comfortable with them. They know us. They have to forgive us because we live together. But when we sin against those whom we love, that also does not honor God in our worship. Our whole lives are meant to be lived in an act of worship to God. It demonstrates what He's done. But our acts of sin, they do the opposite. They reveal an attitude of dishonor and disrespect to God. Verse 8 and 9 demonstrates this well. Demonstrates this well. If you would not provide less than stellar food to the important people in your life, would you do that to God? No. But then, if you, go, if you bring it further, if you do it further, would you ask favors from someone if you gave them less than stellar food? Probably not, right? But that's what they did. And so here in verse 9, we see a little bit of sarcasm from God. And he says, But now will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us? With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly? Says the Lord of hosts. In our sin, we live as practical atheists. Sometimes in our lives, we live as practical atheists. We just keep on going in life until we need God. And in a sense, that's what they're doing here in this passage. They're worshiping God in their dishonorable way. And then God's saying, are you really going to ask me to help you right now? Are you really going to do that right now? We do that in our lives, don't we? We forget about God for the majority of the week. But then when something happens and we need help, we're just like, God, please forgive me of my sins. I need your help right now. Please help me. That's what we do. That's what we do. And the question that God should ask us is, 
Why? Why should I help you? You don't care at all about honoring me. Why should I help you? He doesn't need to concern himself with our little problems. If you think about it, all of our little problems, all of our little sufferings to God, it's just like, you suffer with that? That's nothing. He could do that, but he doesn't. He doesn't. Verse 10. Verse 10. This is the culmination of God's frustration with this dishonorable worship. He says, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. God is fatigued by false worship. He sees through people going through the motions. He sees through all the external acts. He sees the heart. He sees the heart. And so when he says shut the gates, basically what he's saying is shut it all down. No more. No more worship. The equivalent of that today is cut the electricity, cut the water, lock the doors, board it up. We're not going to church today. God's hatred towards us going through the motions ought to lead us to examine our own hearts. When I come on Sunday morning to worship and when I live my life, am I doing it in worship to God because I love him? Or am I doing it because I've just been told to do it? There's a difference there, isn't there? There is a difference there. It's like the difference between a little child obeying his parents. There's, yes, dad. And then there's, yes, dad. Right? There is a difference. The heart attitude is the whole thing. Like, for example, when you do your devotionals, do you do it because you just know it's good for you? Like Brussels sprouts? Or... Do you do it because you like it, right? We'll eat our vegetables because we're supposed to. But do we enjoy doing it? Okay, well, some of you do, but do we enjoy doing it? Most of us don't. Most of us don't. And it's just like, do you really love God in your act of worship, or do you, are you just going through the motions because you know that it's good for you? Most of us, it tends to be the, the, the first one, right? And so for us, if you're going through the motions and you're saved... Stop. Stop. Don't dishonor God in your worship anymore. Because basically what he's saying here is it would be better for you just to remain silent. Don't even sing. In fact, it would be better for you just to stay home. Don't even get out of bed. Just stay there. That's what God's saying here. He's not honored by that kind of worship. If you're not saved and you're here, also... You stop. God doesn't need your worship. He doesn't want it just because it's the right thing to do. He's not honored by the fact that you're just here. There are no attendance points with God. He wants your heart. He wants your love. He sent Jesus to die for you so that he might take you who are far off and bring you near. He wants to bring you into his family. He wants to be able to take away that barrier that prevents you to be with him. And that barrier is sin. He wants you to be with him. He doesn't care about the externals. The externals don't matter to him. They're nothing. He wants your heart. 
and it's not something that you can wait on. God wants it today because you have no idea. You have no idea when your time will be up. God has always cared about the heart. It's not something new. It's not something new. In the Old Testament, in the book of 1 Samuel, Samuel the prophet is tasked with the duty to select the next king of Israel. And he's looking at some of Jesse's sons and he's evaluating them. He's like, this guy looks good. He looks like a king. Let's make him king. And God's like, no, no. He says in 1 Samuel 16 7, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as a man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Jesus, when he's talking to the Pharisees, the Pharisees being the most religious of the religious leaders, he's saying to them in Luke sixteen fifteen, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men. But God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. God can see the externals. He can see past that. You're not fooling him. He can see that. He can see your heart. And the reason why God is so riled up about this, we can find that in verse 11. He says, For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense is going to be offered to my name, and a grain offering that is pure. But for my, um, sorry, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. God is transporting us to the future here through Malachi, and he's saying, look, in the future, I will be honored. I will be worshipped as I deserve to be worshipped because I am a great king. I will be honored. I will be honored. It doesn't matter if it's going to come from you or not. Because in the end, in the end, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, whether it is in celebration of God or whether it is in judgment, burning in eternal hell. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. You will have no choice because God will show himself to everyone and he will say, this is who I am. This is who I am. And we will, have, we will all recognize it. But the thing is, are you going to do it in worship or in subjection? There's a difference. We see God's wrath against this dishonoring worship. Now we look at the second element, which is God's wrath against hypocrisy. God's wrath against hypocrisy. It's similar, but it's got some nuances to it. Verse 12. But you are profaning it, that is his name, in that you say, the table of the Lord is defiled, and as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. When he says the word profane... The word profane means to make something insignificant, to make it ordinary, to make it common. And so to make God's name profane is to make him seem like nothing. It makes him common. It says that he is not holy, that he is not worthy of all worship. 
He is not powerful to save at all. That's what our sin communicates. Now, you might be thinking that I'm going too far, but let me tell you why. When we sin, we make God's name common. We make him appear weak before our fellow brothers and sisters and the world, right? When we place our faith in Christ, we know that we're a new man. We know that we're saved from our sin, from the power of our sin. But yet, when we continue on in our sin and we love our sin, we're saying that, oh, you know, the salvation that God accomplished for me, it actually did nothing. That's what we're saying. That's what we're saying. Is it any wonder that unbelievers look at us and say, why should I become a Christian? I look at your life. I know who you are. Why should I become a Christian? You're no different than me. And if you're no different than me, why would I ever want to wake up early on a Sunday to sing songs and to listen to a sermon? It's boring. Why would I want to do that? They have a legitimate, they have a legitimate objection, I think. If we look no different, why? What's the power of the gospel? There is no power of the gospel if we look no different. That's why we ought to look different. That's the power of the gospel. You're no longer slave to your sin. You are free from your sin. That's amazing. That's amazing. But you have to have the resolve. You have to have the resolve to continue to continue in your sanctification. Pray hard to be sanctified. Pray hard for the Spirit to help you. It doesn't matter how resolved you are. If you're not being helped by the Spirit, you're not going to beat sin. It'll beat you still. It's not just something that you do on your own power. You need the Holy Spirit to help you. All of this dishonor and disrespect of God, it stems from the priests. They're the leaders of the pack. They forgot what true worship is, and as a result... They looked at the worship of God as tiresome, weary, beneath them. They say the food is to be despised. They lack respect for the way that God wanted to be worshipped. And they were content. They're just like, hey, go through the motions. As long as we're not idolatrous, God's not going to judge us. And God's like, no, wait a second. It's the heart. It's always been the heart. priests don't get it. And they look at the worship, they say how tiresome it is. And then they sniff disdainfully. They turn their nose up at the worship of God and they say, oh, it's repugnant. I don't even want it anymore. That's their attitude. They don't care. They view worship as a burden. And we can, we can be in danger of that ourselves. Sometimes we hear the same worship song sung over and over again, or perhaps the music isn't to our taste, to our liking. That church over there, it does it really well. And this church over here, it does it really, really well. And then we just get tired of what we have right here. We can view worship as a burden then, can't we? Or perhaps when we're hearing the preaching of the word and the pastor starts talking about the gospel and you're just like, Oh, man, the gospel again? I've heard the gospel a hundred times. Why do we have to go through the gospel again? I know it. I have it. It's not for me. It's for a sinner. It's like, well, you are a sinner. 
<laughs> still. And, and it's, but, you know, we can be in danger of that. Or how about when you hear, when you hear wrong attitudes being corrected in, in Scripture? When the text is talking about a heart attitude and you're just like, man, I hope that brother over there is listening because he really needs to hear this, right? It's not for me. I really hope that you're listening or you're listening or you're listening. We can become calloused in our worship. So to the point where we even forget why we're here on Sunday at all. Why we even come to church at all. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You can be dutiful in coming to church. You could be here week in, week out. You can be involved to the point where you're going to church like three, four times a week. It doesn't matter. If you forget why you're in church. If you forget that all this is about the worship of God from the heart. Sorry. From the heart. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We show our defiance. We show our hypocrisy. We show our rebellion to the God who gave us his own son to save us and bring us to himself. So be careful. Be careful of your heart in worship. Verse 14 says, But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. God can see past the external acts of worship. He knows when we're giving, when we're promising him verbally the best, but we're giving him the scraps. He can see that. He can see that. These priests were lazy. They weren't doing what the Old Testament said to do. And they said that it's fine. God, you can have my leftovers. You can have my leftovers. And that'll be enough. What does God say here? Cursed is the swindler. God will punish those who worship falsely. If you're a true believer, you will be disciplined. It's not that everlasting punishment, but you will be disciplined. Why? Not because he's mean, not because he loves it, but God disciplines those whom he loves. And so he will discipline you if you are not worshiping him rightly. Check yourself. Examine your heart. Why are you here? Why are you here? Do you view these people who are here at this church as your brothers and sisters? Do you view that we together are the church and we build one another up. That we go out into the world and we proclaim the wonders of who God is to them. So that they also might see. They also might hear and believe. That's how we function as a church. But when we don't. When we allow ourselves to honor God in dishonor. To to. Or to worship God in dishonor, or to worship God in hypocrisy. It's easy for the, for the seeds of dissent. It's easy for the fracture to happen. It's easy for it to happen. I don't like what's going on here. They're not emphasizing what I want to hear. They don't have the heart that I do. So it's easier for me just to say, I'm done. That's what happens when we forget what this is all about. 
I've said it to you before, and I'll say it to you again. The gospel is not about you. The gospel is not about you. It's about God. It's about his glory. And we have to stop being so selfish to think that the gospel is all about us. It's not. Our God is a great king, and he will be worshipped. He will be worshipped. He's the one who builds. He's the one who expands. We need to worship him and honor him and not think that it is up to us to do these things. He will do his work in the church. He'll do it through us or he'll do it without us. It doesn't matter. He will do it. And so be careful of your worship. Honor him. Have a right heart before him because that's all he cares about. He cares about your heart. He cares about your love. This morning we've seen two elements of God's confrontation with Israel. And it hopefully helped us see how we ought to worship God rightly. We know that God takes no pleasure in worship that dishonors him, nor does he take pleasure in worship that is hypocritical. As a result... Take heed, pay attention to what God has said here to these priests. God's greatness demands that we worship him with all of our hearts. And that's why when Jesus was asked by that young man, what is the greatest commandment? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. That's all that God wants. He wants your heart, your soul, your mind, your entire being that's what he wants. It's easy for us, though, isn't it, to continue to live life status quo. I'm saved now. What do I do? I don't know. Just keep on doing what I want to do. It's easy for us to do that. It's easy to think that we worship God and honor him just by being here, maybe occasionally serving here and there. And so in order to keep this right perspective, what we need to do is remember. Remember. Remember who you were before God saved you. Remember what he's done to bring, him to, to bring you to your, himself. Remember how Christ alone makes it all possible for us to be forgiven of our sin and to have a relationship with God. And remember that worship is all about loving God with all of your being. Beware of being callous and merely going through the motions of Christianity. For any of you who are here and you've not yet placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you've seen that God's not deceived. You see that he can see past your good deeds. He knows and sees the desires of your heart. Because he's a good God, because he's a God who is completely light and there is no darkness in him and no darkness that can be around him, know that evil will be judged. He will judge sin. No one escapes that. No one escapes that. But God does offer you saving faith. He is holding out that hand. 
for you to take? Do you not realize that right now the only thing that's keeping you from the pit of hell is God himself? He himself is the one who is patient towards you. 2 Peter 3, 9 tells us that God is not slow according to his promise, but he is being patient. He's being patient so that those who do not yet know the gospel might hear it, and that those who are the elect will believe. He's being patient. He's being very, very patient. But make no mistake, God even says in the very beginning in the book of Genesis that he will not strive with man forever. We don't know when the time will come when God brings it down and judgment is here. We don't know. But it's coming. It's coming. So don't put it off to tomorrow. Don't put it off to the end of your life before you're about to die. There's no telling when time will run out. So I beg you, I plead with you, place your faith in Christ today and ask for forgiveness of sin. He's willing to do it. He's willing to do it. Please, please believe in him. Let's pray. Father, we we're so amazed that you are so patient with us. We look at our lives and we see how sinful we are. And it is just so astounding that you would be patient to us. It is so astounding that you would even consider us. You could have left us. You could have just judged us right away. You could have started over from scrap, from, from scratch. But Lord, you did not. Lord, you did not. You are so patient toward us. And we, we know, we confess that we sin against you daily. That we need you moment by moment because we sin at a moment. We pray for forgiveness for our sinful hearts and for how we are so easily pleased by the things of this world. We pray, Lord, that you would, even now, use the pain, use the conviction, not to deeper sorrow, but to to lead us to repentance, to lead us to a desire to grow in godliness, to love the church, to keep moving forward. Lord God, we pray that you would just give us a heart that desires to see you. I just cannot get enough of you. Lord God, make yourself great in our eyes and help us to worship you rightly. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.